You can be turning your Bibles to the book of Exodus and chapter number 20. And even though this chapter is where we are and have been in our studies, I still feel like that what we are going to be dealing with here is a follow-up to what we've been hearing this past week. And I think that uh, when we are talking about revival then, uh, and trying to obey God, follow the Lord, as far as preparation is concerned, we know that revival, as we keep saying, is of the Lord, that God is not obligated unless he has obligated himself by something he said in the scriptures. God is not obligated to give revival to us. We certainly don't deserve revival. We're talking about something that we need, a necessity. We need revival. And if we're going to continue to try to serve the Lord, we're going to have to be better equipped because the world is getting darker and darker. And the apostasy is getting stronger and stronger. And the deception is very widespread. And so if, if we're going to be effective in our service to God, we need Him to draw near to us. And He will do that, He says, as we draw near to Him. And as we continue to pray and to seek His face. And as we do that, we're going to see why it is that there is such a gap between God and us, God and His church uh, in these days. And it is because of who He is, and it is because of our own guiltiness. God is willing to fellowship with us. He's willing to draw near to us and to use us. But we need to make ourselves usable. Now there is Cyrus, I've mentioned him, the Persian king who was, a, who was a lost man, a pagan, a heathen. And God yet anointed him. He called him his anointed. He anointed him for a service that God was had him for to use him. You say God don't use lost people. God's used many lost people in many different ways. And sometimes he uses lost leadership to judge nations to judge countries. God uses lost, even lost people to help sometimes with uh, the church and the needs of the church. God does that. He can do anything He wants to do. We keep saying you can't put God in a box. And I think that sometimes our way of doing things has God in a box in our own mind. And we don't understand that. But God can do anything that God wants to do except un-God Himself. You understand what I'm saying? He cannot cease to be who He is. He cannot cease to be what He is and have the character that He has. And so what we need today, we need revival of ourselves. Our characters need to be brought back up to a proper standard. Our behavior needs to be brought up to a proper standard. And the way we are responding to this world 
needs to be brought back up to the proper standard. And that's the reason I've called these verses in uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. I've called this because of who I am. Now this is the reason that God has, has given Israel these commandments. Every one of these commandments is because of who He is. This is who He is. It reveals His character. It reveals the kind of God that He is. When the Lord Jesus came here, He acted on all ten of these commandments. He did everything that the Father wanted Him to do. He perfectly obeyed God the Father. He lived out the nature of God. He did not violate a single commandment. And so God says, this is what I want you to do, son. This is what I want you to do because this is what we are. And we need to show this world that this is what we are. And if, and, and if this is our will, then that should be my people's will. This is what I want for my people. And so every one of us, even since we have been saved, we have been guilty of violating the commandments of God. All of us have been guilty of doing that. But what do we do when we violate the commandments of God? Well, in the first place, we experience the guilt as the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of it. We cannot violate the commandments of God and feel good about ourselves. Because God has, we are now a partaker of His nature. I want us to understand that God wants you and I as His people to have the kind of nature that He has. He's made us a partaker of His nature. And so He is calling upon us to live as our Lord Jesus lived. We are even told by Simon Peter in 1 Peter, he said that we are to walk in the steps of our Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us, Paul tells us in his epistles, that we are to be imitators of God. You understand that? Imitators of God. This is what God wants for us because this is who He is. Now, our, our Lord Jesus came here and we represented God the Father to this world. He showed them who God is and what God is like, even to the point where Jesus was able to say to Philip, If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, that's what you and I ought to be able to say. We ought to say to this world, be able to say to this world, if you have seen me, you've seen the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who Jesus is. This is the way He behaves Himself. This is the way that He responds to whatever situation that, he faced, that He's faced with. This is what God wants for us. And so I felt like we needed to come back at least one more time to these just these first 17 verses for just a moment if I can, or as long as the Lord wants me to take it. But I want us to, I want us to consider the kind of God that He is. And I want us to put ourselves under inspection here today. And be honest. Let's be honest. Let's not be hypocritical. Let's ask the Holy Spirit of God to shine the spotlight on our hearts and bring out of us to our own 
that we ourselves can see what we really are and where we really are with God. And, uh, and admit that. When God the Holy Ghost reveals these truths, we've got to admit it. We've got to confess it. Confession first and then repentance. And repentance is something that God has given to all His people. Yes, we do fail the Lord now. We are not yet perfect. We will be when we get to heaven, but we are not in the here and now. I will let my own self down. I will let my wife down at times. I'll let you down. Because I'm a man and I fail. I'm a sinner who has been saved by the grace of God. But God's given me some wonderful spiritual gifts that I can exercise. God knew that you and I would fail Him along the way. So He gave to us the gift of repentance. The gift of repentance so that we can repent. Now we believe and we are sure that faith and repentance are, are bound together. Faith and repentance is bound together. I've heard people say repentance don't save sinners. I want to tell you God married faith and repentance. They are bound in the bonds of holy matrimony. And they will never divorce. They will always be together. And this is what an individual must do to be saved. And yet he can't do it until God gives him or her repentance and faith. He's got to give both of them to that individual. Faith to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and to know that they are a sinner, and repentance to repent of that sin, to repent of their sins, their darling lusts. And when we have believed and repented and turned, we are turning away from sin, we are turning to Christ. He is the object of our faith. He is the one who saves us. And suddenly, His will begins to rule and reign in our hearts. Not our will. And this is necessary. And this is why salvation is not just a little mere head decision. Where you just decide one day that you're going to be saved. And, and, and that's the reason a lot of people, they've made that kind of a head decision. But a head decision leaks out at the ears, I guess. It leaks. It, it just don't stay in there. And, and before long, they're right back out there in the sin again. They're right back out there doing the same old thing that they did. And many times, after they've made a profession of faith and they've gone back out there, they're even worse. They're worse than they were before they made the profession of faith. And they're wallowing in the mire like an old pig. That's the way Simon Peter put it in 2 Peter chapter 2. He said they're wallowing in the mire. And, and now they, they, they had a little, uh, a little head knowledge uh, thing to develop and uh, came forward in a meeting, shook a preacher's hand, maybe prayed what they call a sinner's prayer, repeating after what the preacher uh, has said in his prayer or whoever, and then they, they get out there and the Bible said, even though it looks like they made a good profession of faith, they've gone back to wallowing in the mire like the pie, pig, like the old sow. They've gone back to eating their vomit like an old dog does. And so what happened to them? They didn't get a change of nature. 
They just kind of got a little pep talk, baby. As far as they were concerned, it was just a pep talk and maybe a little booster shot, and they did all right for a little while. Then the next thing you know, they're right back out there. Now let me tell you how you can know if you're saved or not. You can know that you're saved if you obey His commandments. Because that testifies that you love Him. That you really love Him. And I want to tell you, everybody who says, I just want to stand and say I love the Lord, don't really mean it. And every one of you ought to know that that is the truth. And I'm going to tell you how you ought to know it. How many wives do you know whose husbands say to them, I love you, and yet they treat her like she's a dog? Or like she, she is, she's not as important as he is. Amen? How many husbands do you know that wives says to him, I love you, and then she winds up down on the back road somewhere with another man? You see, just because somebody says, I love you, that don't make it so. That don't make it true. But I, if what we really are, what we really feel, what we really are as people comes out by the way we live. It don't come out of your mouth. That's not enough. If that's all that it comes out, it can't be depended on. But it comes out in your ways, the way you live, the way you treat that wife, the way you treat that husband. The way you treat your children. I, I believe even the way you treat your dog. Amen. Sister God has got a cute little old dog. He's a good looking, he's a good looking guy. Don't tell him I said so. I believe he's a little, little bit cuter than Brother Carl. <laughs> to God be the glory. Amen. Huey, I even like his name. I believe when you get saved, even your old yard dog would know it. He's up on the porch. How many times have you kicked him off the porch? But then you come up on the porch, God's made a new creature out of you. And you reach down and he draws back like that. But you grab him and pet him on the head. Say, hello there, old buddy. It makes a difference when you really and truly get saved. And it's a difference that stays with you. It's not something that just leaks out. See, this is the difference. Now, hear me. This is so important. This is the difference in emotionalism and the real McCoy. I mean the real thing. Emotionalism and genuine affections for the Lord. Because emotionalism don't last. And in the southeastern part of the United States, this is one thing that we... We Southerners are known for, and that is being very emotional. And when it comes to the, and I believe emotion, emotions are good and right. I believe God put emotions in us. And God Himself is emotional. And, uh, uh, you say, how do you know that? Well, he, the Bible talks about God loving, talks about God hating. It talks about God singing, that's right, God singing and God having joy. And it talks about the anger of God. All of these are emotions, and we all experience those ourselves. But emotionalism is something like when there's kind of a high spirit in the meeting, and uh, and it seems like things rises up to another level 
and, and, and people get stirred up and they make all kind of oaths and promises. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I swear I'm going to do this and I promise you I'm going to do that. Or we make all kind of promises and oaths to God. God said you better not be making them oaths unless you're going to do what you said you'd do. He said that's a dangerous thing. That's called lying. And God is not favorable toward liars. He tells us in, in, in Revelation 21 and 8, All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Amen. All liars, he said. People, if that's the, if that's the way they live their life, lying, 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 lying to get ahead, Lying to look good before other people. If all they're going to do is lie, God said, i got a special place to put them in hell. And he said, I'm going to put every one of them there. That's the way it is. God saves us from lying. And he saves us from these violating these Ten Commandments that are listed here in Exodus chapter 20. He saves us from adultery. He saves us from stealing. He saves us from being dishonest and coveting and all these. Again, do we still break these commandments along the way? Yes, we do, because we are not perfected yet. But God is still working on us. He is working in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And we are working out that salvation by living the life that He's calling on us to live. But when I do break the commandment, if I do tell a lie or whatever, I don't justify myself. I don't say, well, it's not so bad. It's not as bad as being Jack the Ripper or Adolf Hitler or Charlie Manson. It's not that bad. Well, it is bad. It's bad in the eye of God, and God hates it, and He gives you a choice. You can repent of it because He's given you the gift of repentance. You can repent of it, which means go and sin no more. Don't do it anymore. Leave it all. Throw it away. Never do it again. That's what God is calling on you to do. You can do that, or either He'll say, I'll take my rod to you because I love you. And as many as I love, I'm going to train them. And as that old song used to say, with a tune of a hickory stick. You remember that song? School days, school days, dear old golden rule days. Reading and writing and arithmetic taught to the tune of a hickory stick. Amen. Out back end of where they could tear your rear end up in the schoolhouse, and your mom and daddy, instead of suing them, would come down there and tear it up again for you. That's right. When they were working together to try to mold children, it's a lot easier to mold them right to start with than to try to repair them later on because of all of the damage that's been done to them by society and the culture in which we live. I tell you, we're up against it in this day. I want more of God. I want all I can get of Him, His likeness in me and upon me. I'm going to tell you what we're talking about. And I have said some of this, I know, back down the road in our studies. 
But these things are so important that they must be repeated over and over and over. For example, the holiness of God. Brother Brian, I don't think we'll ever get done preaching on the holiness of God. This is something, this is a doctrine that we have got to keep before the people of God and before our own selves. That God is holy. And as we have said over and over again, God said to the ancient Hebrew people, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And then it's in the New Testament. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit had Peter to write it down in the New Testament. What is it, 1 Peter 1, 16 maybe? Be ye holy, for I am holy. He said it's written. He said, this is not something new. It's been written. It's in Old Testament times for the Hebrew people. And now it's in New Testament times for the church. Be ye holy, for I am holy. God wants His people to be distinct. He don't want us to be like the world. He has saved us from our wildness. He has saved us from that dark, terrible side that we once just lived continually. And He calls upon us to show the world what a genuine Christian looks like. And the more you preach on the holiness of God, the thinner your crowd may get as well. I can tell you that. God, God wants His people to be holy. He said, I am holy. I am holy. I jotted a couple of things down because I think it's extremely important that we get this. When we, this. when we speak of God's holiness, listen, I don't want to misdefine the holiness of God. I don't want to call it something that it's not. I think that would greatly insult God if I called holiness something that it is not. And if I make too light of it, because when you speak of the holiness of God, listen to me, give you a little theology proper here. Holiness is the very essence of God. The very essence of God. When you speak of the holiness of God, you're looking at two different things concerning the holiness of God. The first one, and I think that this is the high point, the high part of it, the major part, we're talking about the apartness of God or the otherness of God above and beyond. This, this is what sets God apart from His creatures, from all that He has created, all that He has made. The Scriptures speak of God's otherness. I won't ever reach that, that, that spot. God is always, in a sense, yes, related. He has a relationship to us. But there is also a distinctiveness to this great God. He is distinct. And we will never get that high on the totem pole. No, sir. We will be in His presence. We will be there because... Not because we are innocent, but because He has forgiven us of our sins and He has taken the guilt away 
because Jesus paid every uh, every uh, evil thing that we ever have done and all of the wickedness that we were in and of ourselves and all of the fall that was in Adam. He's taken all that away. But I want to tell you, no matter how high we may rise in the spiritual standard, and that's not for you and I to say how high we are, because we should always, we should never, we should never look at ourselves and say, well, I have finally arrived. That's pride. So I'm not talking about that. I am talking about us striving to put forth every effort to be the believers that God has called upon us to be. That we are, we are to live the life that He Himself, He set the rules for us. And He's got a right to set the rules for us because He owns us. Again, He has created rights over us. He created us and so we belong to Him. All of us, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Every nation, every generation belongs to Him. He can tell us what to do and what not to do if He wants to. When I told my children what to do and what not to do, if they didn't do what I told them to do, then they had to answer for it. And I'd punish them. Why? Because they're mine. If the neighbor's children didn't do what they, what uh, they were told to do, or, or if they lived wild and they violated this rule and that rule, I didn't go down there and whip them. I went down there and told their parents. A man thought of Bernie's outhouse down one time years ago. I used to go in there and smoke cigarettes, and me and another a friend of mine would go in there and smoke cigarettes in his outhouse. There wasn't nobody living there at the time, but he still owned the property. And uh, uh, we did go in there that morning and smoke cigarettes. As far as I know, we put them out. As far as I know, we put them out. But. That outhouse caught on fire and burned down. It may have been us. Back then, I said, of course, I was a lost teenage boy. I said, we didn't do that. Dad called me. He said, son, said, Roy, come up here and saw me. And he told me that his outhouse burned down and he wondered if y'all had anything to do with it. I said, Dad, I didn't burn it down. And I, I really, I promise you, I thought I did not burn that outhouse down. Maybe my buddy went back later. Maybe somebody else. I think it was kind of a place where different boys in the neighborhood gathered. Of all places, an outhouse. But that's, I guess that's where they gathered. But anyway, my dad put me in the car and took me up to Roy's house and went in there. My dad going to make that right. If, if I did that, he was going to pay Roy for the outhouse and he was going to tear me up for it. Especially for lying to him. He never would put up with that. And we went in there, and Dad said, Roy said, Tommy said he didn't, he didn't burn your outhouse up. And Roy said, well, I don't, I don't know that he did. He said, I didn't see them. I just know that different boys in the neighborhood have frequented the outhouse. And he said, I think they go in there to smoke or whatever. I said, well, I don't. I said, I, I didn't do it. I didn't burn it down. It may have been my cigarette that did it. I don't know, Brother Doug. I don't remember. That's been a few years ago, but I don't remember. But anyway, I shouldn't have run that rabbit. But anyway, God calls upon us, His people, to live a life 
that He would have us to live. I failed the Lord all along the way. And since I've been saved, I've been more ashamed of myself than I have any of you or anyone else. And I know me better than I know anybody else. And so, but I know that this great God of ours, He is, His essence is holiness. The Father is holy. The Son is holy. The Spirit is holy. And I believe, I don't really think necessarily that He is speaking Trinitarially here in Isaiah 6, when the cherubim would say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. I don't think He was saying one for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Ghost. I believe He was putting the three out for emphasis. Holy. Holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. Get that. Isaiah, get that. Isaiah was beholding God upon His throne. And he saw those angelic celestial creatures with their wings, six wings, with two covering their face because they're in the presence of a holy God. With two covering their feet because they're in the presence of a holy God. And with two they flew around and the whole house was filled with smoke with a Shekinah glory cloud of God there. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And I want you to know that there are many professing churches today and many professing believers today who look very lightly on the holiness of God. And you can tell it a lot of times when preachers are sitting around drinking coffee together and if, if they begin to speak kind of jokingly and lightly about things that they ought not even be talking about. You mean preachers do that? I mean professing preachers do that. And he, these guys who are on the TVs and they're joking around and laughing around. I saw them laughing and joking and speaking in tongues at the same time and cutting up. I've seen them doing that and, and speaking lightly about the Lord. And the truth of the matter is, and everybody knows it. They're trying to find the money wagon, which way the money wagon's going, and they're following the money wagon. They build up their own coffers, and they get rich off of widow women and poor, hard-working people and the like. I believe God's got a special place in hell for that crowd. Matthew seven twenty one, when these people... Say, Lord, Lord, and, and the Lord Jesus says to, says to them, they're, they're taken up and cast into the pit. They say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we, didn't we, uh, do miracles in your name? Healed in your, didn't we do all these things in your name? Jesus said, I never have known you. I've never known you. I didn't know you in the, in the relationship of saving you. And making you one of my own. You've never been one of my own. And what, what experience you claim to have had was nothing more than emotionalism, if it was anything at all. But if you were what you claim to be, men of God, I would have been your career. 
I would have been your heart throb. Not money, not gold, not silver. But me, everything in your life would have been centered around me. He said to them, I know you not. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. They've been talking about the good works that they had done. God said, I'll tell you what kind of works you've done. Works of iniquity. And the word iniquity in the Greek refers to lawlessness. Lawlessness. And we're looking at part of the law of God right here in Exodus 20. He said, all you've done is broke my law and been a rebel and a criminal against God. That's the way it is. I want to be the real thing, don't you? I believe we got people here who want to be real. Want to be real. And I praise the Lord for that. And I think this, this past meeting, some of that has really come out. The holiness of God. The apartness or otherness of God. The secondary, that's a primary meaning of God's holiness. But the secondary meaning of holy refers to God's pure and righteous actions. God does what He does because He is who He is. Don't forget, He said, I am. That's my name, He said. This is who I am. And so this is what I do. That's why we ought to be Bible readers and pay very close attention to the Holy Scriptures and read what this Bible has to say about the ways of God and the works of God, what we see God doing, even in Old Testament times, that just don't seem like it rings our bell. It just don't seem like that uh, God would really do such a thing. I want to tell you what it is He is doing is according to His own holiness, His own righteousness, because of who He is, He does what He does. It's necessary or He wouldn't do it. It's got to be that way or He wouldn't do it. And I want to tell you, the more we read the Bible and the more serious we are about the Word of God, the more He may teach us as to why He does this, that, and the other. He's not obligated to do it because He's God. But if, if He wants to and He has, He has let His own people in on things that other people criticize and don't understand and shake their head at God about. But God has let them, He lets them in on some of these things. The righteous actions of God. And this is what God is calling upon you and I to live just such life, to live that out before others to see. It's tough. We've had so many of our people here that has gone home to be with the Lord. In 2001, my dad left me. In 2015, my mother left me. In 2021, I think it was, my sister left me. My brother is not doing good at all now. He has had multiple strokes. Can't hardly communicate with him. He can't talk plain at all. He's seven years older than I am. And he and I have been very close over the last few years. Very close. And if I don't leave here first, they're going to call me one night or one day and tell me my brother's gone. 
And he and I have good fellowship in the Lord, and I'm very thankful for that. But it's been hard to bury the bodies of people that I love that I'm so close to. I'm super close to Cindy. Very super close. We were, I babied her all her life, and she was about six years, no, about eight years maybe younger than me. And uh, we were very close. Sin took a toll and did some terrible things. And she wound up leaving this world much younger than me. And that was the hardest part. I loved my dad, loved my mom, and nobody can ever replace them. But it was harder on me with Cindy, and I guess because of the way everything was working at the time. It's tough, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you the honest truth. I'm still bleeding to this very day. I never have been able to stop the blood. And it's been tough. God's helped me. And He gives me grace along. But some days are harder than others. But I can honestly say the Scriptures are true. Where Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, he said, we sorrow... When our loved ones die, we sorrow. That's natural. That's, that's the way it should be. We grieve when they die. But not as others who have no hope. We've got a hope. We're going to see them again. God has given us hope and peace. And we have hopes to seeing them again. But you know, lost people, they don't have that kind of hope. And it's sad. I still grieve. I'm, I'm grieving today. And I know you are. I know Sister Diane grieving over Brother Junior. And I can understand, I understand it. Every time you saw one of them, you saw the other. They were always together. God had a ministry that He was using them in to help others. That's, that's usually what a ministry consists of, to, to help. They were constantly looking after people who are, who are sick, people who are in need, going to them, seeing about them. And I mean at times when they wasn't really, really able, either one of them, to get out and go, but they did that. I know it grieves our sister. But I tell you, Sister Diane, we're not far behind them. Won't be long. We'll see them all again. I praise the Lord for that. But I just want, I, I want you to know, while we're here, we got a job to do. A very important job. And that's to show this world what Christianity really and truly looks like. Because there are many people who are lost, many people in the world, they look at churches, they go by churches, they look at them and say, ah, it's full of hypocrites. And you know, the sad thing about that is there may be a lot of truth to that. That may be so. I think there are a lot of hypocrites in churches. I believe that. But you better believe this. God has a remnant. He's got a remnant of people. They may be few, but He's got a remnant who has a genuine love for God. And there is nobody's sins that they hate like they do their own. Amen. Well, I think we'll just stop right there. 
Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Word of God. We approach a holy God. A God who is saying to Israel in Exodus 20, because of who I am, this is what I want you to do. And this is what I want you to not do. Because you represent me. And when people speak of you, they're thinking about me and who you claim to represent. And I don't want you to give me a bad name. If we call ourselves a Christian, then we are to depart from evil and do that which is good and right. You told us in the Word of God that it is very important, and we'd better get this, whosoever nameth the name of Christ, let him depart from iniquity. We name the name of Christ. We dare call ourselves Christian. And Lord, so we know that You call upon us that if that's true in our lives, we'd better be doing some repenting and getting right with God, getting close to You, because You're not going to put up with it. We believe that America today is in the terrible shape she is in today, not just because of the world itself, but because of the condition of the church. There's so much saltiness, salt that has lost its savor. We cannot any longer seem to be able to act as a preservative in this world by salting this world with holy living and godliness. We've gotten so far from You, Lord. We beg You to help us. We beg You, Father, to please, may we not stop short here. Help us to continue moving forward to be used of our God as You would be pleased to use us. We've got to make ourselves usable as Your people. You use lost people, yes, but now when it comes to saved people, saved people have got to be right. You call on us to be right. You expect more out of us because you have gifted us with these spiritual gifts. And you are have the Holy Spirit living in us and the Word of God is in our hands and must be in our hearts. And so, Father, you may say to your people, take the first step and I'll take the next. But to those people who are lost, you have to take every step because they're dead in trespasses and sins. I pray, God, you would help us. And Lord, that you'll get glory from us. we got people we love who are still lost and they'll go to hell if they drop dead today because they're not saved. Lord, we beg you to help us to live before them the lives that they may see Christ, see their own need of Him, and finally cry out to you. We pray that this little church will, Lord, become a church with a big job doing great and glorious things for Your own honor and glory. We ask You for any soul that is among us who is lost, that, Father, You would open their eyes to the truth. May they be delivered from their sins. May they be brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We plead with You, Lord, for every one of us 
Lord, that you would have mercy and pass us not, O gentle Savior. Hear our humble cry, while on others thou art calling. Please do not pass us by. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen.